When Bailey was 11, she went to summer camp, where she swam and did arts and crafts, and where she learned to shoot a gun. Dear Mom, I like shooting my rifle a lot. (laughs) But now I have a bruise on my shoulder, and I slammed my thumb in the spot where you lock the bullet. It took Jane the nurse seven band-aids and 20 minutes to stop all the bleeding. (laughs) But then I got a popsicle. Please send me food and more underwear. Love, Bailey. That's Bailey reading a letter from camp. And this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. From cute little kid writing to angsty teenage writing, everything you hear was written by kids and then read verbatim by those same kids, all grown up. This time, recorded live at Cliff Bells in Detroit, Michigan, we have a letter to Bill Gates, a plan to save the earth, and a step-by-step guide to popularity. This stuff is weird, and it is wonderful, and by looking back at who we were, well, that can help us better understand who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Jeans. They're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. I'm David Brown, the host of Wondery Show Business Wars. We go deep into some of the biggest corporate rivalries of all time. And in our latest series, we're unzipping how Levi's, Lee, and Wrangler managed to take workman's wear from the frontier to the runway and closets around the world. Join us for Denim Wars. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Our next readers, Becky and Stephanie, are twin sisters. Um, I'm Becky Dennis. This is my twin sister, Stephanie Dennis. And when Becky and Stephanie were in fifth or sixth grade, they got in a big fight. It was such a big fight that in order to keep the peace, their mother made them sit down and write each other apology letters. So at our Detroit show, we got to hear two letters written by two sisters about the same incident. Now, a quick heads up, pop culture reference, if you are not familiar with Josh Hartnett, all you really need to know is that he was a teen heartthrob in the late 1990s. Okay, reading two sides of the same story, here's Becky, then Stephanie. Dear Stephanie Dennis, I am so sorry I ripped your Josh Hartnett poster. I should have just put the hanger in my room. I am so sorry. Will you ever forgive me? But you should have not hit me and thrown the hanger at me. It really hurt. Mom says I have to buy you another poster, but where will I find one? All over one stupid, smelly hanger. Well, I already said sorry to you last night in the bathroom. I am sorry that I did this to your poster, but you can still see Josh's face. Like I have said three times, I am so, 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 so sorry. I will get you a new one. Love your nice and loving sister, Rebecca Bethany Dennis. 
Dear Rebecca Bethany Dennis, I would like to apologize for hitting you in the face or wherever I hit you <laughs> with the metal hanger. <laughs> I am also very sorry that I made my voice loud, yelled like a maniac at you. I would appreciate it if you would not yell or tear down my favorite Josh Hartnett hot stuff poster. <laughs> now you have to buy me a new one, which I don't mind, but look what you got yourself into. <laughs> I think I would either check the internet to see if you can find a new Josh Hartnett poster or something else that would completely satisfy me. What my whole apology letter is saying is that was very, very wrong of me to raise my voice very high at you, but it was also very, very rude of you to rip and ruin and destroy my poor baby, Joshua Hartnett. You knew I loved him. In all caps. Why, in God's name, why did you rip up his precious little baby face? Word count, 160. With love, Stephanie Frazier Dennis. Backstage after the show, I asked Becky and Stephanie what their relationship is like today compared to when they were kids. Much better. <laughs> we're just we're just really different. Uh, and, you know, when you're younger, you don't appreciate those differences. And I think we're getting better at that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely are. If you could get in a time machine and go back and talk to the kids who wrote those, what would you tell them? Chill out. Chill out. Use your words. <laughs> Violence. <laughs> it's not the answer. You realize you Last are twins week. and you just literally finished each other's sentences, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. happens quite often these days, so. <laughs> when Lauren was in seventh grade, she wrote a speech. The year was 1997, and her speech was all about the computer revolution. That speech went on to win a competition, and at a very special ceremony, Lauren got to deliver her speech in front of Bill Gates, who was, at the time, the CEO of Microsoft and one of the richest people in the world. Here on our stage tonight, Lauren T. is going to read the speech she wrote for Bill Gates. Please welcome to our stage, Lauren. Yeah, it's good. Good morning. My name is Lauren Turner, and I'm a seventh grader at Burton International School here in Detroit. This morning, I'd like to tell you why computers are helpful and important to me. They provide rapid communication, and it makes the world smaller. <laughs> you can get on the internet and talk about sports with someone in Africa, or just chat with a friend down under. <laughs> Some of my favorite things to do on the computer are talk with friends on the internet, design clothes on my computerized fashion designer, play the educational but fun game, Oregon Trail. <laughs> and look up different articles on Encarta. 
best of all, computers are fun, educational, and entertaining. But watch out for those hackers. Just kidding. Support for this podcast comes from the IT experts at CDW, people who get it. At CDW, we get the future workplace works differently. Today's my first day back. Almost forgot what floor we were on. Understandable. But with modern health and safety technology orchestrated by CDW, the future can work better. Technology like thermal screening and occupancy tracking enables employees to walk confidently into the office. Wait, this isn't my floor. Is this even my building? Even if it's been a while. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash future of work. Will Smith once said, and I'm quoting here, parents just don't understand. For many of us, that describes a big part of growing up, especially during our teenage years. Questioning authority, disobeying your parents, rebellion. These are common themes at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. When our next reader, Kelly, was 14, she really, really wanted to be part of a Christian fellowship group that was called Focus. But her mom did not want her to go. So Kelly wrote about this in her journal. Now, a quick heads up, Kelly's reading does contain some cuss words. We do not bleep them. She also talks about self-harm. Okay, there's your heads up. Here's Kelly reading from the journal she kept at 14. I know I'm going to cry tonight, like I do every night. I just don't, I just don't get this. I cry myself to sleep every night because I just want to go to focus so bad. I just want to talk to mom about it, but I'm scared. I know she'll ignore me and tell me it is a cult. It's not a cult. I started cutting because I was frustrated at rowing, not because the people in focus told me to. I miss focus. I miss the people. I miss the fun. I can't talk about this. It is making me so sad. I just want to go to focus. Why can't mom just go to one of the meetings with me? Please, mom, go with me. I just need you to understand how I'm feeling and why I'm here. I'm so sad. I miss everyone. I love focus. It was so fun. I love the memories and the people. We have so much fun. We play Jenga and Twister and Clue. It's fun. It's not a cult. It's just normal people hanging out and having fun. Why, Mom? Why can't you see that? Please, 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 please come with me to focus. Find out what it is really about and don't rely on what Jenny says. Use your own mind, please. I love you, Mom. Mom said I can go to focus. But I wish she would go with me. I know she wants to know why I go. I just wish she wouldn't be so stubborn. This place is hell. <laughs> me and Nikki are constantly crying. Mom forbade me to go to focus anymore. I have changed ever since I met Karen, Mom. Whatever, focus is the only thing that makes me happy. I need to go to focus. 
I need to go to Focus Camp. Focus is where I can be myself, meet new people, and find out more about myself and God. Mom, I hate you for doing this to me. Whenever I'm at Focus, I am happy. Don't you want me to be happy? Mom, please let me go to Focus. I hate this house. I've cried five times today. Boo-hoo. Nikki is sitting in the blue chair, crying hysterically. WTF. I need focus, just to be happy. Why can't mom just go to one meeting with me? I just want to, her to see that it's fun and healthy and I need to be there. It's not a cult. <laughs> Fuck. We went to St. Paul's. That was a fucking cult. I hate it here. I should be able to go to focus. If it is a cult, that's my problem. Mom, please, boo-hoo. I miss the vineyard. I just want to die. I'm so depressed, I'm shaking. I cut. I'm crying and holding my stomach. I'm going to be sick. I wish someone would see me like this, and then I wouldn't have to pretend. I am worthless. Look at me. I am crying and trying to rock myself to sleep. What is wrong with me? I need to leave this house. What happened? No one here will ever feel what I feel now. Why, why? Oh God, why do I feel like this? I don't think I'll ever stop crying or bleeding. I wish I could find dad. Why am I unhappy? If someone sees this, I will be locked away. Please God, don't lock me away. I stopped bleeding. Oh God, why do I do this to myself? I don't want to be locked away. I don't want to be locked away. No one can know how I feel. Not even Karen, not even Karen. Thank you. It's been 15 years since Kelly wrote those journal entries, and a lot has changed since then. Backstage after the show, I asked her, When you look back at that writing, what's your relationship with the girl who wrote that? I was embarrassed when I went back and I read it, only because she seemed so desperate. Um, But... I do feel a connection to her because I feel somewhere deep inside that she still exists in there and I still want my mom to understand me and and be involved in my life and get to know the things that make me happy. But I mean, that may never happen. So I'm just, I've come to peace with me as a whole. And honestly, reading that was really therapeutic and I'm so glad that I did it. Yeah, I mean, somewhere out there, there is a 14-year-old who is hearing this, going through not the same thing, but something difficult. Like, what do you say to that 14-year-old? Life is really crazy, and it won't ever change. It will always be crazy. I'm not saying to look at everything as it's perfect and rosy and happy, but try to see where you can learn from things and grow from things and get the best out of every situation, because it doesn't quite get easier, but the way you view things can change and you can make things better for yourself. And I don't, that's all the advice I really have. Just love yourself. Love yourself because you are worth it. You are worth that love. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you.
When our next reader, John, was in first grade, he created a picture book, and it was called Save Things. He says, he says it has a good message, but terrible grammar. Please welcome to our stage, John. I dedicated my book. I said, uh, dedicated to everyone who reads this and all my friends and relatives. <laughs> Chapter one, save the animals. There's no animals on the page. <laughs> I hope that in a few years, the earth might be very nice if everyone helps. Saving the animals is very important to me because they can do wonderful things. The next page has a horse in a barbed wire fence pulling a covered wagon, which doesn't exist in the 90s, and a bluebird flying overhead. And I continue my sentence. Like, for instance, horses can help carry very heavy loads. They can also help drive the cattle, which is very prevalent in the 90s, of course. <laughs> People shouldn't kill so many animals. If we didn't have animals, we wouldn't have some foods. Which does not prove my point at all. But we'll go on to chapter two, Save the Earth. It's a little better. I want people to pick up garbage and clean the air. I think about this so other people can enjoy the nice days out and inside. And there's a plane flying overhead. Strike two. said, if there were no more wars, murders, or killings, I would be perfectly happy not hearing about so much just plain someone hurting. <laughs> I think you would too. I just don't like that type of stuff. There's a tank shooting a plane down and another plane going down right here. Then I end it with, thank you for reading this, the end. And then, and then I have a picture of a beaver slash bear on the, uh, just chilling on a log in the back for everyone's enjoyment, so. That's my book. John, ladies and gentlemen. Is he selling that book? Is he selling There's it? a question from the audience, are you selling copies of that book? As far as I know, John is not selling copies of his picture book, but if you would like to see what it looks like, we have photos of John, his book, and a lot of other readers from our Detroit show. Those photos are up at our Facebook page, which you can check out and like. Just look for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, or follow the link in the show notes for this episode. One of the things I love about this kind of writing is what happens when it's read out loud. Somehow, by making what was once secret public, our idiosyncrasies and secret insecurities can remind us that we were much more alike than different as kids, even if we didn't realize it at the time. I mean, so much of growing up is about wanting to fit in, wanting to be liked, to be accepted. For me, 
so much of junior high and high school was about wanting desperately to be one of the cool popular kids, but never quite getting there. For me, popularity seemed elusive, somehow just out of reach. But that was not the case for our next reader, Michelle. You see, when Michelle was in seventh grade, she created a plan. Michelle's plan to popularity. (laughs) Number one, be yourself. The good parts of yourself. (laughs) Grow to be five foot two, at least. I'm four foot 11 and three quarters, it did not work. Um, Three, have healthy, well-manicured nails and toenails all the time, underline. Only spend one to one and a half hours on the computer daily and make half of that on MTV or teen sites. Be well-educated on everything, from fashion to entertainment to sports to business, et cetera, et cetera, ECT. Flirt whenever and wherever possible. Spend four days a week socially. Endless possibilities. (laughs) Two days with family or other plans. And one day, self. No interruptions. Memorize Michelle's Guide to Guys and Games and use whenever possible and suitable. So this is Michelle's Guide to Guys and Games. One. Zaripi. Flirt whenever and wherever possible. (laughs) Two. If you catch him staring... Give him eye contact for 10 seconds and then turn away oh so nonchalantly. Only if you want to lead him on. Three, don't ever let him make you feel like a trapped rabbit. (laughs) Unless, of course, you're serious about him. Four, don't wait for him to make the first move. Five, don't call him immediately. It makes you look desperate. And six, laugh at his jokes. (laughs) Michelle was not the only reader at our Detroit show who pondered her own popularity. When our next reader, Emily, was 12, she considered herself pretty popular. But as she confided to her diary, she worried that popularity might not be all it's cracked up to be. All right, so... I don't think I have any real friends. I mean, yeah, I'm popular, I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) Everyone calls me their friend, but no one ever calls me. I'm always the one making plans. Being popular is hard work and really superficial. Totally not me. But it's so fun. I've been trying to become less popular, but I can't because it's just so cool. But tomorrow, no more Miss Popular. I mean, I'll still be popular, but just not as much. (laughs) This one's the worst. This is so embarrassing. (laughs) Okay. I'm gonna come clean about some stuff. I lied to the whole school. (laughs) I said I met Soldier Boy. (laughs) I I even gave out fake autographs. It felt really great at first. Can you say popular? But now I feel awful. All those people, all those fake autographs. (laughs) There are just no words to describe it. 
Okay, so I, I tried doing some homework to distract myself, but then my mom got home and was pissed about the house being so dirty. I, I know I'm grounded, but I snuck on the computer for an hour. I looked at bra sizes, and I'm almost a 30 AA. <laughs> okay, age 13. I am so dying to be emo. <laughs> I just love the feeling. <laughs> the feeling of not being like everyone else. I love emo music. My favorite band is My Chemical Romance. <laughs> and although it's a secret, I love Marilyn Manson's music as well. If my parents would let me dress the way I want, I would be out dyeing my hair and getting pierced. I could care less about being popular. I have almost accomplished my goal of becoming punk slash emo. <laughs> I have started to realize that emo is not about how you dress, it is about becoming an individual. <laughs> I have been pretty rebellious lately. I wear liquid eyeliner and black eyeshadow at school, but I wash it off when I get home so my parents don't know. <laughs> I really want to dye my bangs red and shop at Hot Topic. You know, even if you feel like you're not writing anything substantial or you're just talking about your day, it's so important to be able to look back and see where you were because it helps you appreciate where you are now. Like, I look back at all those stages and I can laugh at them and I know that all of them helped me be the person I am. And I, you know, I constantly learn lessons from going back and looking at my journals and it helps me clear my head, too. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded at Cliff Bells in Detroit, Michigan, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to WDET for their support of our live show. Halifax, Charlottetown, St. John's, we are headed your way in a couple of days. Winnipeg, Edmonton, Yellowknife, and Calgary, we will see you in a few weeks. And everywhere else, well, we'll see you soon. If you want a heads up about upcoming live events, join our email newsletter at our website, grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. And if you're new to the podcast, thank you for checking it out. If you like what you hear, there are many more episodes in the back catalog. You can download them anytime. And if you really like what you hear, leave us a rating in iTunes. Links to all this stuff are in the show notes for this episode on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. It's not a cult. It's just normal people hanging out and having fun. (laughs) 